Hi everyone, it's Phil. Before we get into this episode of the Red Dot Project, I wanted to take time to make a note that this episode was recorded on June 29th, 2018. At the time of the recording, Doug Ford was literally being inaugurated as the new Premier of Ontario. We didn't anticipate the government to make a formal decision on what he was doing with the health curriculum by the time we posted this episode, but we were wrong. The Education Minister, Lisa Thompson, announced that this fall, schools in Ontario will be working from the 42-page curriculum that was taught in 1998 to 2014. This curriculum does not mention same-sex relationships, gender, consent, or online safety. The most recent curriculum provided improved information, skills, and strategies needed to keep our children and youth healthy and safe. From affirming gender-diverse youth to recognizing signs of cyber abuse, it is essential that education in Ontario reflects the realities of the 21st century. We at Red Dot Project and Red Dot Project want the students of Ontario learning from a current and inclusive curriculum, one that supports all of Ontario's families and children. Enjoy the podcast. Did your parents talk to you about the birds and the bees? Yeah, I my mom did. She planned a whole special uh, day for her and I <laughs> <laughs> when I was about nine years old. Uh, she took me to a hotel and we uh, stayed there for the night and did some uh, ba kind of things, I think. And she had this book um, that she gave me and explained to me like uh, that had pictures of just kind of like how your body changes and um, stuff throughout puberty and different stages and it had these um, like clear pages that you could flip over the pictures that kind of showed um, like different uh, yeah gradual changes in uh, your yeah just I guess your body and your uh, what would you call it like reproductive organs and sort of for for women like it showed how you know your breasts change and you grow hair and like you you know get taller you might get, like gain a little bit of weight and your uh, for women like your hips grow so that you can give birth and all that stuff <laughs> so yeah i remember uh, looking at that with her and uh, it was pretty interesting and yeah i thought it was uh, it was a good experience for me did your sister get the same thing i th- think something similar i don't remember if it was quite as uh, in depth or <laughs> like the same uh, <laughs> sort of special day uh, as me I guess because uh, I was older so my parents uh, maybe thought it was <laughs> much more of a, a big deal with me and then when it came to her just kind of uh, <laughs> assumed that she uh, might have known some of it already or <laughs> or it wasn't as uh, quite as important or they didn't need to go into quite as much detail as they had with me. I got none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get a hotel room. <laughs> um, I didn't get actually any talk about mm-hmm. that at all. So uh, I think you're a little lucky there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my mom's a nurse, so maybe uh, that's why she <laughs> kind of had more of uh, an understanding about those kind of things, or it wasn't as uh, awkward for her to talk to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when you uh, first had sex ed class? I think it was like, grade four or five yeah I don't remember like what the first kind of topics were I remember learning about menstruation I think in grade five or six and Mm -hmm. there were like all sorts of jokes and (laughs) (laughs) inappropriate comments (laughs) I remember in grade five I think when we when I first I think really started learning about Mm -hmm. it that I can remember and I remember um a guy that was sitting next to me he there was like a question where we're learning about the female uh reproductive parts and mm-hmm. stuff like that and then i think the teacher asked like what are some of the things that you know and the guy whispered to me he's like say flamingo tubes <laughs> <laughs> and i did and i was flamingo not right tubes. but we thought we had it so, <laughs> for those who don't know women do not have yeah. flamingo tubes <laughs> <laughs> Four years of Doug Ford is starting today. Yeah. 
Okay, so welcome to the Red Dot Project. I'm Phil. And I'm Haley. This podcast is about a variety of issues and topics such as... Menstruation. Uh, <laughs> women's <mark>. rights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's about. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we really don't know what it's about. We'll find out. <laughs> but we can at least tell you in this episode, we are talking about history of the current sex ed curriculum that we have and sort of how enough people decided that it's wrong and that it needs to be replaced by what we still don't know but we i guess have the new premier officially in office today so i guess we'll find out soon first thing i guess we could talk about is the fact that it is not technically a sex ed curriculum it's the overall health curriculum Mm -hmm. that the students are learning so the thing uh, that tends to get overlooked in the debate about the uh, new sex ed curriculum is that the sexual education portion of the curriculum is only about one to two weeks and the rest of uh, what the students will be learning is sort of general health information um, building upon what they're already already learning such as Uh, personal hygiene, how to eat well, how to exercise and look after themselves physically and uh, and mentally, such as techniques to reduce stress and and cope with uh, the changes that they're going through during puberty. So it's uh, all stuff that we can agree that the children uh, should be learning and that's important for them to be learning, just building upon it in ways that are more relevant now than perhaps they were in the past when the curriculum was last revised in the late 90s due to the emergence of the internet and other technologies that children are using these days. When we say new, we're talking about 2015. So it's a curriculum that's been already in place for the last about three years. Mm -hmm. Um, Originally, a similar curriculum was uh, was introduced by Dalton McGinty in uh, 2010, but it seemed that, I guess, Ontario wasn't ready to talk about things like same-sex marriage and other topics. So it got scrapped quite quickly with all the adverse reactions from families. Mm-hmm. So Kathleen Wynne did introduce it in 2015. And since then, we've had it in place and our children have been learning it. Now we come to 2018. And how did we get to the place where we are talking about it as a major role in getting Doug Ford elected as premier? Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the first people we'll have to look at and talk about first is Tanya Granick Allen. So Tanya Granick Allen, if you haven't heard that name before, she is the head of the Parents as First Educators, I guess, group. I guess known also as PAFE, PAF, <laughs> PAFE. Yeah, parents for PAFE. I don't know. I guess yeah. it would be PAFE. <laughs> PAFE. We'll go with PAFE for today. <laughs> so PAFE's mission is to support the authority of parents over the education of their children through grassroots activism. PAFE monitors and intervenes to ensure elected politicians keep their activities transparent and accountable to the public. We inform and mobilize over 75,000 supporters throughout Ontario. PAFE considers Ontario's sex ed curriculum as radical. So I think radical has been a word that the conservative government has used a lot throughout the election to mm-hmm. really scare off people from voting, particularly with NDP, but with anything other than themselves. That's a word that maybe we could look into one day too. Like why is radical such a scary thing that people use to describe people? Because uh, I don't know, some of our most biggest history makers were probably pretty radical and they've done a lot of things that we praise today, but That's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) I have a couple other quick things about Tanya. Uh, She she graduated from Western University with a degree in politics. She worked as an executive assistant to the former Toronto City Councillor John Parker. Uh, She is now a mother of four who is homeschooling her children because she has the lack of faith in Kathleen Wynne's 
education system overall. So I guess we'll have to see if uh, her kids enter the public school system now that the conservative government is changing things over there. Should we go over some of the claims that PAFE makes about the curriculum? Yeah, sure. All right. So one of the things that they have in the brochure that they've been handing out is that the curriculum undermines parental rights by using the language of talking to a trusted peer or adult as a suggestion for dealing with managing stress during puberty. So PAFE would like it to say students should be talking to parents when they're managing their stress of puberty. I don't know if we remember puberty well, but (laughs) there's constant jokes about how bad parents are at teaching the kids about the birds and the bees and what's going on with their bodies. I don't know if that has changed much. I know I don't really talk about that kind of stuff with my mom. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I would feel comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Your thoughts? Yeah, it seems like maybe uh, the parents in that group are out of touch with how it felt when they were you know, going through puberty and whether they were comfortable talking to their parents about it, if they think that their kids should automatically come to them you know, first whenever they have something in, the, in that age that is presenting a problem for them. And even it just seems like something kind of silly to nitpick at because it doesn't even imply that a trusted adult can't be a parent. It just, like, it definitely could be, but it also could be um, an aunt or, you know, cousin or whatever. Eventually, it might even get back to the parent anyway, (laughs) if that's the case. Yeah, it seems to be quite similar to the recent changes on some of the forms uh, that where the government took away the word parent and they put guardian and mm-hmm. people are upset because it doesn't say father and mother or mm-hmm. parent anymore and they feel like they're losing their title but quite frankly not all children live with mom and dad yeah some of them have two moms mm-hmm. some of them have two dads some of them live with grandparents mm-hmm. and some of them are um living in a group home or yeah. are in care and or have foster parents so it's a little different for everyone and it's interesting how often they people need that validation of being called as a parent mm-hmm. or father or mother on a form like that changes things in their regular life mm-hmm. but uh moving forward on their lovely brochure that they have and i say lovely as in uh, sarcastic <laughs> but um in grade eight when identifying sources of support regarding sexual health, PAFE did not like that parents were listed after teachers and health professionals on the list of places students could go to for support. So when the, the curriculum did list parents, they didn't like it that they were lower on that list, which I don't think the list was numbered. Mm-hmm. But um, they would have wanted the parents to be, I guess, top of that list there yeah i think one of the things that that i read at least that doesn't really get brought up especially in uh in that area is just that unless your parent is like like a health professional like they're they're not an expert on sexual health so why would you talk to them first if you have like a concern and like why not talk to a doctor or like someone in that field um, rather than than talking to your parents, like, it just doesn't really make sense that they think you know they would have more more knowledge or authority in that area. Like obviously, parents want to be informed about what's going on in in their child's life, and if they do have a concern or something, but if they're not going to be able to necessarily present a solution or like give their child like accurate information then why would they want to be the first source of consultation for the kid it doesn't really make a lot of sense like if I had a problem with something like I needed I don't know legal advice or something I wouldn't ask my parents like what they thought you know like I would 
talk to a lawyer. <laughs> it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. Like if a young child or an adult, young adult, if anyone had access to a health professional, why would they not mm-hmm. use them as a source to talk to about sexual health? Like it makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. But um, nonetheless, uh, that is on their list of th- concerns with the curriculum. Other things are that they say the curriculum limits and negates the role of parental authority. Their claim is that the research shows that parents who monitor their children closely are less likely to have sexual active teens. In teens who feel that their parents strongly disapprove of them being sexually active are less likely to contract an STD. And I think we should note that even though the document that they've written was written after the study that they're talking about, obviously, because they're quoting it. But the study that they quoted used the term STI, so sexually transmitted infection, which is the current term that we do use. Mm -hmm. But yet this document that uh, PAFE has created constantly used the language STD, which is sexually transmitted disease, which is a term that we replaced. So it's interesting that they continue to use STD while this research they're quoting clearly states STI. I don't think social conservatives are exactly hip with the times <laughs> and the language. I guess so. <laughs> but I guess it's too confusing to learn a new term. Mm-hmm. Well, um, other things that they are looking at or they disapprove of is in grade 7, they don't like that it says that people who think they will be having sex should carry condoms so they can have it when they need it. You know, condoms only prevent 99.9% of STIs, but I guess children shouldn't have it because if they have it, then I guess they're worried that they would use them. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't that be the same type of mentality you would have with a gun? If you have a gun, then you would use a gun? Yeah, you'd think mm. so. <laughs> <laughs> well, But it's for protection. <laughs> that is true. Oh, sort of like a condom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, also in grade 7, they worry that anal and oral sex is discussed. Students are told sexual health includes understanding what gives you pleasure. I think one of the things that I understood from kind of going through... The curriculum and some of what the the teachers and the people who have been training the teachers on this new curriculum have to say is that uh, those topics, really the ones that that deal with oral sex and anal sex or whatever, like they're not mandatory. Like the teachers don't have to talk about that in the classroom, and it's not as if they're telling the kids like this is how you do it. <laughs> it's just something that kids are gonna learn about you know from other sources like the internet and they're going to have questions and they're going to be curious about what it is so the teachers can explain it or give examples but it's not something that they're mandated to teach about it's just an example that is optional and there are a lot of things um, that some of the critics like Tanya Granick Allen and other that group seem to be worried about that they've kind of nitpicked from the curriculum that they're saying are mandatory and that teachers have to teach when they're not, and that's definitely one of them. Yeah, for sure. So there are expectations, Mm -hmm. obviously, that the teachers have to teach. But like you said, the anal sex part is part of an embedded example that Mm -hmm. is completely optional for the teachers to use. It's actually in the curriculum when they talk about anal sex, it's talking about the risk of HIV transmission. And they talk about vaginal and anal sex without a condom. And that's what it's referring to. So, which I believe is a fact that Mm -hmm. um, there's a high risk of HIV transmission if you have sex without a condom with multiple partners. It's in the the broader (laughs) picture of like how different STIs like HIV are transmitted and how Uh, You can protect yourself, which is obviously one of the most important things about sex ed education for children and and young adults to know. So it's not as if those two things are separate. Like it goes hand in hand to talk about sex and to talk about safe sex and protection. 
if it's in the context of protection and and safe sex, I don't understand why there would be such a problem with it. Neither do I. When we look into the curriculum a little bit further, I guess we will talk about that mm-hmm. a little more. Um, Antonio Granick Allen, that is the major talking point for her that got her to the position where she was considered for the leadership of the Conservative Party. There was in the first round there was four candidates. It was Tanya Granick Allen, Doug Ford, Christine Elliott, and Caroline Mulroney. Yes, Caroline Mulroney. So why Tanya Granick Allen is so popular is actually through one of the first debates on the TV show The Agenda uh, with Steve Pakin. One of the comments that she made was regarding when she was asked why students aren't doing so well in math. And she, her quote was more or less, students would be doing a lot better if they weren't distracted by talking about anal sex in the classroom. And we'll play the clip right now. Yes. Sex ed isn't going to improve math scores, so tell, tell me about something else. Sure, but it'll definitely not stop distracting students, and maybe they could focus a bit more on math if they weren't talking about anal sex in the classroom. So that clip got her a lot of coverage. A lot more people were asking themselves, who is Tanya Gritick Allen? And it didn't get her enough attention to get her to the next round of the leadership voting. So Christine Elliott was first in the voting for the next leadership, and Doug Ford was second. And that's why she actually became so important for Doug Ford's win is because Doug Ford then at that point got her support, which brought her supporters over to Doug Ford's side, which actually is credited by a lot of people to why Doug Ford was able to get the edge on Christine Elliott and secure that leadership position. Shortly after that, on May 5th, Doug Ford did announce that she, Tanya Granigallen, would not be a candidate for the PC party. The main reason, I believe, were uh, some comments that she had made in the past that uh, were homophobic and uh, also uh, things she had said that were anti-Muslim and just sort of really discriminatory to uh, several groups in general. But I think uh, yeah, the thing she said was how kids learning about same-sex marriage made her want to vomit or something like that. So yeah, pretty not great. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it was in a 2014 video. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to Google that, you guys can. But yeah, and that was pretty much it for her. Doug Ford still was able to retain a lot of her supporters through the election that happened and we know how that election turned out with uh, the conservatives getting a majority government mm-hmm. and i think uh especially after he kicked her out it was sort of the realization that she had all those supporters who because she was really for uh, repealing this uh curriculum and that's what uh, a lot of her supporters wanted as well so then uh, Doug Ford kind of took on this task as well and that's what I guess when he kind of started saying uh, he was going to repeal it as well. So now I guess moving on to Doug Ford and throughout this whole election one of the things that he kept on saying is that parents were not consulted Mm -hmm. on the sex education and he actually says I guarantee it. When we looked into it a little further, the whole consultation process looked like in fall 2014, about 4,000 parents were actually consulted and surveyed. And each of these parents, basically one parent for every elementary school in Ontario was chosen to take the survey. And those parents were chosen by the principals and parent-involved committees. So I guess the PAT committees and things like that, um, they chose one parent from every elementary school that got to fill out a survey regarding what they think should be in the health education curriculum. On top of that, they interviewed or gathered information from 2,400 educators and 700 students. Other places that they consulted was the police, children aid societies, CAMH, so the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, Ontario Physical and Health Education Association, Ontario Healthy School Coalition, and the Institute for Catholic Education. 
Uh, one of the other issues that Doug Ford supposedly had about this curriculum is that he felt children should be learning about facts rather than quote-unquote liberal ideology. And his example of that was kids learning about six different genders and other nonsense, that's what he calls it. Uh, he obviously feels uh, the same way about same-sex marriage, as he says, uh, children should not be learning about that. And uh, the uh, recent absence of him and and uh, his family from the Pride Parade gives us an example of how he feels about that subject. Basically, he has an issue with children learning about these sensitive topics at an, an early age. Well, just given the fact that uh, many children already come from uh, from families where they might have parents who are in the LGBTQ community or uh, or parents that may not um, necessarily conform with the stereotypical idea of a nuclear family of the mom and dad who are married and, and so on. Um, it's just shows that this is something that kids are already experiencing and going through and talking about and it should be discussed in school and with uh, with their friends because children are going to have questions and they're going to be confused and, and it, it can't be something that's uh, just ignored, especially since same-sex marriage has been legal in Canada since 2005. It's kind of silly not to discuss those issues with uh, with kids who are living that experience. Yeah, and that's also something that I think has to be made very clear is that the talk about the fact that you know there are people that who are not cisgendered and straight that is never going to be taken out of the curriculum like that's a human rights a topic that is always going to be in the t- curriculum students are always going to be learning that there are different people in the world that have different identities and no matter what some people may wish that it would be erased from our curriculum um, it's actually going to be in all different types of topics and subjects in their course throughout their time in school not only the health education mm-hmm. uh, piece is where they're going to learn about differences in people so that alone will be something that will just not be removed mm-hmm. and the basic foundation of it is just learning to be respectful and kind and to accept people who are different than you whether it's due to skin color or culture or disability or sexual orientation and uh, just to basically be a decent human being and it's something that all kids should learn not only from their parents but from their peers and from uh, teachers as well so it's something that should be uh, taught to them throughout their time in school and that's what this curriculum focuses on by introducing it to to children in uh, their early years just as something to be mindful of and then building more on it as they get more advanced and start to uh, to learn more about about topics such as sexual orientation and and their own preferences and so on all right so before we get into the details of the health education curriculum uh, let's take a break okay so we'll be right back <laughs> Haley, are you a good person i'd like to think so are you involved in any clubs group anything like that uh, not at the moment <laughs> Well, if you were, (laughs) let me tell you about Red Dot Project and how they could come out, present to all the wonderful people that you work with or you meet with from time to time, and tell you more about menstruation and how it affects people who live on the streets. And they could even get you started on a campaign where you could start collecting donations that will go directly to the people living on the streets of Toronto. Wow, that would actually be great for my work at a homeless shelter for women. Yes, exactly. So if you, like Haley, are a good person, you work somewhere, or you know people in general, you don't have to know them well, and you want to be an even better person, you could just uh, look up red.projecttoronto.org and find out how you could set up a campaign and information session today. So check out red.projecttoronto.org. Welcome back to the Red Dot Project. Uh, we're going to continue talking about uh, Ontario's uh, health and sexual education curriculum, as it is our topic of the day, with uh, Doug Ford being inaugurated as uh, Ontario's new premier today. 
So uh, we're going to do a quick overview of the curriculum that children are learning uh, in each grade. Yeah, so we're going to just go through each grade and look at really what the main topics that they're discussing and see if it really is as dangerous for our children to learn Mm -hmm. as uh, it's been promoted by certain people. So looking at grade one, Mm -hmm. what do we have here? So the major topics that children will be learning in grade one are identifying body parts, including their genitals by their proper names, and also their senses, so sight, smell, touch, taste, and sound. And uh, one of the primary objectives of this education in grade one is to teach children um, how to identify injuries or illnesses and uh, how to identify abuse if they are being touched on a part that is private by someone and they can actually identify where they're being touched and what uh, the person is doing to help stop that abuse. I heard somewhere that it's more likely to get a person convicted of a crime of abuse when a child is able to identify uh, specifically which part they are being either touched or molested. So it's really important for children at a young age because they are at greatest risk because they are so easily able to be taken advantage of Hmm. that they're able to have that information where they're able to communicate to people when someone is not doing something right to Mm -hmm. them and uh, also just um, one of the other objectives is to teach children from an early age just not to be embarrassed or ashamed about their bodies and to be able to to talk about them and to yeah be afraid (laughs) because everyone has these body parts if you're you will have to to deal with things (laughs) things that are common that it might be you know bodily functions associated with private parts or whatever that might be embarrassing but if you can identify it and talk about those uh, those things without embarrassment then it just it's easier going forward and entering puberty yeah another thing to be clear about is in grade one when they're about i guess six years old ish they're not showing them mm-hmm. like pictures of you know men's penises and women's vaginas on flashcards for them to look at i believe it's still like cartoon Mm -hmm. pictures of children that have these parts and they identify what each part is and what called by their proper terminology Mm -hmm. so parents just don't worry it's not porn being peddled (laughs) to your grade one child at that Mm -hmm. age the clear purpose is to have them be able to identify these things so if there are any situations that we hope they never are in that they are able to express to a trusted adult so moving on Mm -hmm. to grade two grade two is where they start to outline the basic stages of human development they talk about bodily changes they explain the importance of standing up for themselves they describe how to relate positively to others and behaviors that can be harmful in relating to others including both online and face-to-face name-calling. One of the other things that the children start to learn in grade one and two is more related to just the health side of things, which is just basic hygiene, such as washing your hands, brushing your teeth, that sort of thing, where um, most children will learn at home, but you can't always teach your kids to do those things as much as you might want to because they don't like it a lot of the time. So I guess uh, the fact that it's also being emphasized in school will hopefully lead to more healthy habits and healthy kids overall. Mm -hmm. I think if you ask any teacher or CYC, I think they'd be very happy that the kids are learning about how to wash their hands more. I don't think anyone has a stronger immune system than a teacher Mm -hmm. or someone that works in an elementary school because you're just getting sick all the time. Trying to get my uh, little sister to brush her teeth was a pretty big task. (laughs) It didn't (laughs) usually end well for my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure she's brushing her teeth now. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) If she's listening, she could email us and confirm that for us. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Moving on, I guess, to grade three. What do you have for grade three? 
Um, in grade three, uh, children start to learn about healthy relationships and um, how to have good relationships through listening, respecting others, being honest, and uh, communicating with uh, their peers and their family, and how to deal with things like bullying or being left out, and also how to accept differences. So this includes uh, visible and invisible differences, such as skin color, disabilities, culture, as well as gender identity and different family types. So this uh, not only includes same-sex families, but also lone parent families or maybe uh, children who are being raised by their grandparents or just any kind of family type that is not necessarily the stereotypical uh, nuclear family. And it also touches on the fact that uh, not all people will fit into traditional gender stereotypes. Uh, for example, the type of toys that they play with. It's okay for girls not to like playing with dolls or for boys not to like playing with cars. And just, yeah, it really emphasizes the fact that children are already growing up in diverse families and are aware of these topics. So it's important to talk about because the children might have questions about about those subjects. And in this grade, they also start to talk about how to be safe on the internet. Yeah, I think grade three is one of the major grades that a lot of these groups like parents as first mm -hmm. educators or some other religious organizations really po uh, pointed out is the part where they talk about teaching kids that there is other gender identities than just uh, male and female mm -hmm. or there are other sexual orientations other than being heterosexual so i think to be clear in grade three they're not really going into major details mm -hmm. of what each is and they uh, are just basically stating that there are different people different families and different identities other than what maybe theirs look like mm -hmm. and just trying to emphasize that you should respect others even though they're different yeah I, I guess like the big fear for a lot of these people is that you know you teach a child at i guess that would be eight years old mm -hmm. that there are people that are gay or people that are lesbian or people who are gender non-conforming mm -hmm. or transgendered that you're going to convince them that they are those things mm -hmm. but the i guess the best argument that i've ever heard is if that's the case you know who convinced you to be heterosexual or mm -hmm. who convinced you to be cisgendered from lived experiences and voices of people that I've heard it's just it's not something that persuaded you to be this way it's mm -hmm. just what you're born and you just realize it at a very young age and for mm -hmm. a lot of these people especially transgender people a lot of them say that they knew since they're very young mm -hmm. so probably before the age of eight that uh, things just weren't right for them if how they're living or how they're being told to live mm -hmm. and until they realized what they should identify as, it was a huge struggle for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for a lot of children, it actually helps to be able to put sort of a name to maybe some feelings they're experiencing or questions uh, that they have either about themselves or about a family member or someone they know. It just helps to be able to identify what might be uh, going on and and to kind of make it yeah easier to understand and and just to make them feel like they're not alone or that uh, they're not abnormal in any way yeah and I think you know when you think about like age eight and up that's when you know you see a lot more of these children that start to notice the differences of each other and mm -hmm. unfortunately a lot of those times is when kids uh, will start to pick on other kids mm -hmm. about those differences and there is so much power when a organization or the system itself clearly states that people are these differences and that's okay of how that influences everyone into just not using those things as topics to bully mm -hmm. people on when the system or organization clearly states that they are those are valid identities to have or ways to live your life then a lot of people just don't see it as a big issue anymore and mm -hmm. they move past it and that's i think a lot 
in part of what that grade three learning objective is, is Mm -hmm. just people are different and we should accept everyone for being different. And that's, I think, really what they're going for with that grade. Mm -hmm. So going on to grade four, grade four, we start to see where students are able to describe the physical changes that may occur during puberty, as well as the emotional and social impacts. They demonstrate an understanding of personal hygienic practices associated with the onset of puberty, identify risks associated with communication technology, and describe how to use them safely, describe various types of bullying and abuse, and identify appropriate ways of responding. So grade four, you're about nine years old? Yeah. Nine. So I guess, you know, that's a pretty okay age, I guess, Mm -hmm. to learn about puberty. That's when I started learning about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's good because I think, I don't know, when I was growing up, I think grade five, six is when a lot of a lot of us was starting to mm-hmm. really show the signs of puberty. Yeah. I imagine there are a few kids that were going through it maybe a little earlier and mm-hmm. obviously a little bit later too. So it's good to have that understanding before I think most will start. And then obviously nowadays it's so important to talk to kids about uh, using the internet and cell phones technology um, safely and to ensure that they're aware of some of the risks and, and dangers posed by these things and yeah, how to... Uh, deal with bullying especially um, cyber bullying and and those kind of things so in grade five is when the in the the health curriculum will start to discuss the reproductive system and children will be able to identify uh, the parts of the reproductive system and how the body changes during puberty including these systems they'll discuss the process of menstruation and sperm production and the emotional and interpersonal stress related to puberty, as well as strategies for managing this and improving mental health and well-being. And also, um, like we kind of touched on before, showing respect for people in different stages of puberty. So some people might start earlier, some people might start later, and it's just about acknowledging that everyone's different and uh, they're going through this together, but just at a different pace or in different stages and also how their actions online and in person can affect others and this includes uh, starting to talk about sexual comments and pictures yeah so i think it's important obviously for them to start to talk about things like sharing sexual pictures at that age they're at about 10 years old now you know a lot of children they have cell phones by then Mm mm-hmm and they are eager to add their friends and talk to them and text them all night. So talking to them about these things at that age is probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. I know back when I was managing a group home and I had a youth that was um, in about grade seven, I believe, at the time when he was caught sharing sexual pictures with a female student and the police were called in and it was a big deal and things like that but yeah so that would have been i think would have been before this curriculum was implemented so he wouldn't have learned at that time that you know he shouldn't be doing this type of stuff and why it's so dangerous Mm -hmm. especially because uh, children are, are starting to go through puberty at that time so they're starting to learn about different parts of their body that are developing and especially if they have older siblings or anything like that they're exposed to uh, you know maybe some information you know about sex or about their bodies and they're obviously curious (laughs) they're gonna probably start talking about these things with each other even if it's not necessarily dangerous or malicious but it's still important to uh, teach them to be aware of talking about those kind of things you know online or texting with their friends or pictures and and what uh, the impact of that can be for sure um you know i am a bit older but now i have younger cousins that are you know in grade school and high school and um seeing them on social media now i'm 
have a couple of them on things like Instagram and Facebook and you start to see that some of the musicians that they like and knowing the type of music that they and the things that they talk about these are topics that they talk about on mm-hmm. in their music and not always in the way that we hope younger people are hearing and learning from those messages i think we like to believe just because we stamp a parental advisory warning on a cd that no child under a certain age will ever hear that music but unfortunately they are listening to that kind of stuff and they're watching the music videos on youtube and facebook and things like that and they're talking about it and learning about it and if they're not learning about it from parents because parents don't want to talk about that stuff to them that young and they're not learning about it in schools then they are learning about it from their friends and their friends older siblings or Mm -hmm. their older siblings and we all know how great and accurate the information that older siblings and (laughs) older friends have always given us while we're growing up about things like sex and relationships so we are on grade six six yeah so grade six we're looking at identifying factors that affect a person's self-concept for example stereotypes gender identity and body image They describe how to lay a foundation for healthy relationships by understanding changes that occur during adolescence. They also assess the effects of stereotypes on social inclusion and relationships. I actually really like that piece um, where they talk about how the stereotypes and social inclusion and relationships because I don't think that's something that we really talked about before. Mm -hmm. Like I could clearly see when I teach a classic diversity When I started teaching about five years ago, when I brought up some of the effects of stereotypes for different groups of people in our society and how it affects them, uh, people are blown away by the Mm -hmm. statistics of it. And the fact that students are learning about it in grade six is going to be important because then that means when they go through high school, through those like, you know, what should be some of your best years of your life, (laughs) students are able to understand that why people maybe in the past if they looked a certain way had a tough time and Mm -hmm. hopefully the compassion of a teenager will kick in (laughs) and they will not use those type of stereotypes and stuff to hold people back from being included in Mm -hmm. different activities yeah i don't think i ever learned about that until like after high school like university and, and college so I think it's important that uh, kids are starting to learn about these things earlier on. Yeah, just kind of understanding that there are various things that can make you who you are. And just because someone else thinks about your culture or whatever a certain way doesn't mean that that's how you have to define yourself or uh, understand it in relation to yourself. And uh Yeah, one of the other things that they start to talk about um, in this grade is uh, how to make decisions in personal relationships that show respect for yourself and others. So creating those boundaries and uh, starting to think about consent and just basically communicating um, with your peers or uh, or your friends, you know, what's okay for you and what's not. Yeah, for sure. So I think that leads into grade seven, which Mm -hmm. I think grade seven looks like an important year for this uh, curriculum it's a pretty big one i think that has a lot of messages that hopefully sticks with them throughout the rest of their lives in grade seven they start to explain the importance of understanding with a partner about delaying sexual activity and the concept of consent so consent is something that hasn't been taught well in the past Mm -hmm. and now we look at this era of me too movement and time's up And we talk about how, you know, a lot of these issues that we've come across, learning how to get proper consent was a big issue Mm -hmm. for, and and it was a scapegoat for a lot of these people saying that they thought they had it when they really did not. Mm -hmm. When you look at people like Louis C.K. or Aziz Ansari, Mm -hmm. uh, those are two cases where they thought they had the consent and it just wasn't there. So learning at a young age, in grade seven, that's um, about 12 years old, maybe even a little too late for to start talking about consent. Mm-hmm. But it's an important topic, so I'm glad that it's in there. Absolutely. And I think 
a, a key piece to talk about with grade seven is especially with groups like parents as first educators uh, they talked about how the curriculum heavily states things like having sex at an early age and experimenting and stuff like that where the curriculum itself when you go through it actually says in grade seven how to talk to your partner about delaying sexual activity Mm -hmm. and getting the consent yeah and how to uh, be accepting of each other's decisions whether to engage in sexual activity or not and how to communicate uh, your boundaries clearly and it also um, starts to talk a bit about STIs and uh, preventing them and preventing pregnancy as well um, at this stage as well as some of the things to consider uh, physical emotional social and psychological factors uh, when deciding uh, whether you want to become sexually active or not and then how uh, your relationships with others and your sexual health may be affected by changes that you're going through in puberty it also talks about bullying and harassment Mm -hmm. also talks about sexting topics like that that are definitely a real thing for a grade seven as much as we like to pretend that 12 year olds don't know what those things are unfortunately now they are heavily involved in probably all of those things Mm -hmm. most of the children in that age group and when you just ignore it what happens is it continues throughout grade eight and on through high school and it's unnecessary prolongment of bullying and harassment that Mm -hmm. just shouldn't have happened if uh we just teach children at an earlier age the negative effects that 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 those things have on people Mm -hmm. Um, and the consequences can be a lot more severe obviously if it's not dealt with at a younger age if the children don't know that it's wrong i mean they can end up in trouble with the law and with police and that can leave a lasting uh, impact on their lives um, when they leave school and try to enter the workforce and things like that so it's important to uh, teach children not only about um, the impact it has on other people but the consequences that engaging in that uh, sort of behavior could have for themselves as well so moving on to grade eight now Mm -hmm. so in grade eight they are identifying and explaining factors that can affect decisions about sexual activity they demonstrate an understanding of gender identity and sexual orientation. They demonstrate an understanding of contraception and the concept of consent. And they analyze the benefits and risks of relationships involving different degrees of sexual intimacy. And then uh, I think it was in this one that they also talk about the sources of support for sexual health, uh, which includes health professionals, uh, parents, community groups, religious and spiritual leaders, which is one of the things that the PAFE group had, had an issue with, that parents weren't listed first on the on the list of people that uh, children should come to for support. Yeah, for sure. You're about 13 years old, <laughs> and uh, you are starting to think about these things, and puberty is probably full on at that point. I don't know if your parents are going to be the first person you go Mm -hmm. to. If you have parents that you're open to talk about this stuff with, then that's great. But if you have any adult that is trusted, that could give you good information, I think that's important Mm -hmm. to have. Which is interesting because also like they talk about how they want parents to talk about these things with their children. But at the same time, in the same pamphlet, they talk about how parents need to shun sexual activity and things like that so the kids will never have sex while they're teens Mm -hmm. you know and stuff like that so it's like if kids are interested in sex but then the only message they get from parents is that never do it and don't talk about it Mm -hmm. then i don't know if that's the best person to go to about certain things like that it always reminds me of the scene in mean girls with the the sex ed teacher don't have sex (laughs) you'll get pregnant and die (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, that's the other one i think it's you'll get chlamydia and die (laughs) and i think there's a lot of people that have those ideas still Mm -hmm. and that's probably why it's so funny yeah (laughs) 
Okay, so grade nine. What do you have for grade nine? Grade nine is uh, they will continue talking about STIs and pregnancy prevention and also continue talking about gender and sexual orientation as well as the impact of media and culture and uh, stigma on our ideas about gender and sexual orientation. We'll continue learning about building healthy relationships, consent and sexual limits, and how to apply the knowledge that uh, the students have gained about sexual health to real life, including um, the benefits and risks of relationships and uh, internet and technology use, such as uh, texting, pornography, and personal photos. I think that is probably a great time, grade nine, to really talk about a lot of those topics a lot more. You're entering high school for a lot of these students, so we all know what high school is like. Mm -hmm. If you've ever watched an episode of Degrassi, (laughs) you would probably know that uh, all these topics are stuff that you experience and that all the students of Degrassi has experienced probably from like the first season on. So these are real things, and that fact that they're learning them is pretty good, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's see, grade 10, we have them demonstrate an understanding of factors that enhance mental health, describe factors that influence sexual decision making, describe some common misconceptions of sexuality in our culture, and explain how these may harm people. Explain how being in an exclusive relationship with another person affects them and relations with others. That's a pretty big topic. Mm -hmm. Well, all those topics are actually pretty big. Actually, one of those things that I've never thought that they would teach in classes how being an exclusive relationship affects you and it also affects people around you yeah i thought that was an interesting one as well because it's definitely not something that you really consider but if you're you know in grade 10 or 11 and you get your first uh partner and you sort of like the world just kind of revolves around that person, right? You may not uh, hang out with your friends anymore and like your family and everything just uh, everything else just kind of uh, becomes a lesser priority. So, and that does uh, affect you and it definitely affects your friend. uh, Like I remember uh, feeling that like sort of anger or like resentment towards uh, one of my friends when she got a, a boyfriend and sort of just you know ignored me and, and uh, but it's definitely uh, also important to teach kids about about that um because it could be like a sign of you know dating violence or abuse if your partner is trying to to control you know every aspect of your life and who you socialize with and and so forth for sure like I still have friends and we're in our 30s that uh, disappear when they get in a new relationship. Mm -hmm. So it is important to recognize those type of things. And the fact that they're learning about it in grade 10 is uh, pretty good. Although I would argue that, you know, kids are starting to date a lot younger. Mm -hmm. And they're probably going to already experience these things by the time they're in grade 10. So Yeah. And some of the other things in uh, high school that they learn about mental health and different mental illnesses. They start to talk about substance use and addiction and uh, the impact of that on their health and also stigma surrounding uh, these things. Yeah, one of the other things I thought was interesting was the use of personal and interpersonal skills to deal with stress and help others through difficult situations. That's typically not something that I think gets talked about in school, maybe not at all, um, even in post-secondary, depending on uh, what field you go into. So I think it's important to talk about that. Yeah, for sure. I think for one of our episodes, we are going to get a recent high school graduate and we're going to quiz them mm-hmm. on all these things <laughs> yeah, and see if they learn. <laughs> I think I know a few that I could get them to come in and talk to us mm-hmm. and see really, you know, have they been learning these things and how yeah. has that affected them? We're at grade 12 now. Mm-hmm. So grade 12, they are should be able to demonstrate an understanding of the effects and legal implications of different types of harassment, violence, and abuse in different relationships and settings, and describe ways of responding to and preventing them. They should be able to demonstrate an understanding of how relationships develop and how to maintain a healthy relationship. 
all good things i think mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh there's not much i could say or add that other than you know some of these things they should learn earlier mm-hmm. another one was uh using their strengths and interests to work towards their goals which i think is something that's really important and not just for health or sexual education but just in general to to build that in in kids to know that they have things that they're good at and that they can use those to get to where they want to get in their life and uh, just promoting yeah critical thinking in general especially about uh, how relationships are portrayed and how to make this uh, more inclusive so for example changing the way that relationships are pretty much always presented as just you know heterosexual relationships or nuclear uh, families and and uh, kind of analyzing that and and saying how this doesn't represent the way things actually are. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that wraps up the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Any other things that stand out for you? I think um, basically we have to keep in mind when responding to to criticisms about this curriculum is that parents still have the right to take their children out of the class or like out of a certain uh, topic of the class if they don't want their kids to be educated on on that by the teacher like it's still under the education act that parents are permitted to do that although some teachers have said that they think this uh, promotes discrimination because the kids aren't being educated on uh, topics that are expanding their view about what's acceptable or or not and as well that uh, a lot of the things in the curriculum like there are certain topics and expectations that teachers must teach but certain things um, like the topics about anal sex and oral sex and stuff like that are, are not mandatory as well Oh, yeah, also that um, teachers uh, and school administrators can arrange so that parents will get a heads up about uh, the fact that they're going to be talking to the children about uh, some of these topics so that parents can talk to the kids first at home and kind of give them an introduction or whatever so that when the kids come home, they're not asking, Mom and Dad, like, what's a vagina? What's a lesbian? And the parents are like, whoa, where, where did you hear that? So they can kind of prepare their kids for uh, hearing about those topics and make them more well-informed and, yeah, just better able to respond in class, maybe when uh, another peer is talking about their experience so that, that uh, there won't be any bullying or anything like that so i think that the most important thing to remember is that parents still have a really important role and an important role in educating their children obviously the uh, curriculum isn't going to answer all the questions that children have or educate them about everything there is to know about health and sexual education either so there still is a role for parents but parents aren't necessarily the experts and that's important to remember i think yeah, for me, I think when we're doing the research for this topic and as I dove deeper into some of the references that PAFE has used and looking at how they manipulated a lot of mm-hmm. the quotes that were given from places like UN in their international technical guidance on sexual education. So I think a lot of our curriculum was built off of what the UN talks about of ideas and understandings that children should have while they're growing up. And like the one in uh, particular, and they're pulling out actual quotes from the document. And when it talks about, they list it as the curriculum teaches children to consent to sexual behaviors. And obviously if you listen to how that's worded, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's saying they're teaching kids to say yes. (laughs) Yeah. To say yes to having sex. But the direct quote from the document that they list is demonstrate ways to communicate giving and refusing consent. Mm. So it's really interesting to see how some of these groups are really choosing to admit words from sentences. And then uh, when they reword it, you know, two or three times, it gets, you know, the broken telephone Mm -hmm. looks a lot different to what the actual curriculum says. So I think, you know, as we wrap up here today, we look at, what we all thought 
the curriculum was about. And I don't know, even on the radio, when I listen to like pretty conservative radio stations like Newstock 1010 with uh, people. I remember a couple of weeks ago, there was one guy, I forgot his name. He's in the midday guy that runs the show there. And he's like full on pretty conservative. And he clearly does not like you know ndp or liberals like will outwardly say that and when they're talking about this topic and a woman came on the air and started saying a lot of this stuff that you know people like tanya granting allen was saying she actually quoted a lot of stuff that she was saying he pretty much cut her off and said if you haven't read it then you would know Mm -hmm. that that's not what it says and taking away this curriculum if you take it away and put the old one back in then you are putting a lot of kids at risk mm-hmm. um, not only just because of things like stis and things like that but kids who identify differently than what we consider is the norm in our society which is heterosexual or cisgendered kids who don't identify as those uh, identities they're going to be bullied and mm-hmm. they're going to be picked on and they're going to feel like they're not supported and when you look at suicide rates for people who are transgendered you look at the numbers and you see people who consider or have suicidal ideations that when they're still trying to figure stuff out compared to when they actually have the support and they are transitioning it's like it goes from like almost everyone to almost non-existent Mm -hmm. so when we're able to build these systems that are more inclusive and accepting of people for the differences and encourage other people to be inclusive also you know you're going to see a lot more children that are just growing up happier Mm -hmm. i think the two main elements of the curriculum that i took away from it are uh yeah acceptance of other people and of differences and also like self-acceptance and sort of that body positivity and not being you know ashamed or embarrassed about your body I think those are the the two main things that it it seeks to teach children and those are well some of the the most important things to take away from it I would say obviously uh, the elements about sexual health and, and consent and and those things are super important as well but I think those two overarching messages are what uh, is really needed to move the curriculum from what we had, you know, 20 years ago to what's important and relevant now. And if you repeal that and take that away, then, yeah, it's just kind of, it's not serving the needs of, of what the population looks like today. Yeah, and I think that that's the biggest thing I think that we have to think about is, we hear about all these changes that Doug Ford will put in place, but we don't know what exactly they are. He talks about taking stuff away and replacing them, but with what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's why so much of us are concerned, especially with, in particular, this, is we just don't know what he's going to replace it with. Like, we know what he says he's upset about, and if he chooses just to take those things away it doesn't mean they don't exist for the lives of these children who are supposed to be learning these things. Mm -hmm. So what is he going to replace it with? And I guess that's something we'll have to find out in the next little while. Mm. Well, as you could hear the music playing right now in the background, that means our time is just about up. Thank you for listening to another episode of Red Dot Project and stay tuned for future episodes. You can support us by following us on Instagram or Twitter at Red Dot Project. We will be trying to put out as many episodes as we can, and we will let you know when the next one's up. If you have some time, also subscribe, uh, rate us five stars, hopefully, and uh, comment. And you could also email us at podcast at red.projecttoronto.org. So until next time. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Bye. <laughs>